Street. Canuck Central, hour number two, is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company helping local business since 1892. David Pinota is going to join us here in a couple of moments. If you missed hour one of the show. And how could you? Why would you? Mm. Is a better question. Um, we talked a lot about your Vancouver Canucks, how they're shaping up. What it means that they've added to this roster rather than subtracted. How the Western Conference looks. And also brought in Ian McIntyre to that conversation. So a lot of good discussion on where the Canucks are headed over the next little while. Massive contract going to Josh Norris today. Yeah, huge. $7.85 million. He's he's played 125 games yeah. in the league set. Yeah, he's coming off a 35-goal season. Young centerman, pretty good both ways, has a great shot, probably scores a lot of goals in the league, but I I, I don't think he's going to be like a super high point guy because I don't think he passes the puck well enough. So, I mean, it, all fair stuff, but you know what it reminds me of? What, uh, what happened last year to, to young defensemen with similar sample sizes? Mm-hmm. They got paid. They got Quinn paid. Hughes. Yep. Kale McCarr. Yep. Fox got paid too. I mean, Heiskanen was the year before. Yeah. Different situation, but... Premium players and guys that project to be stars, guys who are showing on their ELCs, they can be point-per-game centermen, guys that are showing they can be elite producers, defensemen on ELCs, that's what they're getting. Yeah. It's 8 to $9 million. And what they're banking on is that they're getting him at a lower number than what he would get in a couple of years. And they're not wrong. Yeah, The cap's going up. Like, What do you think Patterson's going to get paid if the cap goes up in two years and he has two really big seasons? He's going to be in his mid-20s, right in the prime of his career. Well, this is kind of what we talked about. You know, When Pedersen was going through his yep. contract negotiation, it's like, well, what's it going to cost to get him on an eight-year deal? And you know, people see what Rob Thomas got. People see what now what Josh Norris got. Guess what? Like Pedersen's track record compared to those players after his ELC expired, way better. Yeah. You know, <laughs> from a points-per-game perspective, even last year, Josh Norris doesn't really... points per game, that would be Pedersen's worst season to this point in the league. Yeah, and I think Vancouver, I'm not sure what they were offering back then. I know there were frameworks in front of them for a long-term deal, but it was never in that, you know, 10 million range or anything. Yeah. You know, and I think Pedersen was never willing to touch anything under nine because of this. You know, if if, to your point, guys who don't have the same track record as Pedersen are getting eight times eight, why would Pedersen take eight times eight? Yeah, it was partially, hey, the Canucks didn't have the cap space to offer more than that necessarily. Yeah. But also, well, Pedersen had every right to be asking for in the $10 million range on a long, on a maximum term extension. So that is uh, a little bit of uh, history brought up once again. Josh Norris, big, big contract. Good for him. See how it works out for the Ottawa Senators. They also kind of have to do that to make sure they keep those players Signed. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, David Pinota of the fourth period joining us. Uh, how's it going? You got uh, the extra battery on the phone going the last 24 hours? What's going on? Oh, this thing's been plugged in steady. Um, <laughs> I have this, the iPad, the laptop. It's all WhatsApp, everything. Everything's 
everything's rolling, moving along. Except the Euros, everybody's sleeping over there now. So <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, not really much going on. Yeah, yeah. Today, today's a little bit quieter though than yesterday. How does how does uh, yeah. free agency opening look like for you? Like, what are you, are you just sitting on your phone all day? Like pretty much all of us. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I, I was on air with with NHL Network in the U.S. Uh, for about five straight hours. Um, oh, nice. Just trying to, yeah. So I've got the I've got the camera set up. So every time I'm there's something to talk about, I jump on. And then when when you're not on, you're 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 on your cell phone, you're on the other device, this device messaging everybody, um, just trying to get a sense and really leading up to it, trying to get a sense of, you know, what teams are, are planning to pursue, which players have, you know, this guy in their sights, that guy in their sights, which, which players are hoping um, that, you know, this team and that team are interested in them and all that kind of stuff. So it's really a lot of, a lot of homework gathering, trying to see, you know, which, what realistic options are available for players and for teams and then just dealing with everything all all day as things kind of come in. Day two is always a weird one. Cause yeah, it, it's it's a quiet one. And then in the evening on the East Coast, that's when things start to pick up. Uh, some years, other years, you wait till day three, and then you get you know the rest of the crop that's still available kind of rolling through here. Um, and that's what I'm really hoping for because it's the weekend coming up. So I, I would really much like to enjoy that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think we all would like to have a weekend. We don't have to uh, worry too much about stuff. But hey, it'll probably get there pretty quickly. Now, as yeah. far as yesterday went, walk us through what you were hearing on Johnny Goudreau and what your reaction mm-hmm. was when it, it came down that it is Columbus. Yeah, well, um, a lot of shock, uh, to be perfectly honest <laughs> yeah. with you. Um, you know, it was, it was Islanders, Devils, Team X. Uh, and we knew it wasn't the Flyers. They kind of set that up pretty early on in the day that they weren't going to be able to get in on that because um, they weren't able to create the cap space. So the assumption was that it was primarily, and for a long time it really was, New Jersey and the New York Islanders. And I, I guess when Columbus realized that he was seriously interested in joining them, he wasn't just using them as, you know, this wasn't just a tactic to try to drive up the price from another team. Um then things really got real there and both clubs were trying to, you know, convince him otherwise. And it just obviously didn't, didn't kind of work out. Um, and, and I can tell you, there was a little bit of frustration as well on both sides uh, with the Islanders and the devils that weren't able to make that happen. They thought they had a very good shot at getting him. And they thought whatever the next team was, that it was, it was strictly that tactic. Um, well, everybody really surprised that it ended up being the blue jackets and, Look, he just wanted. To, he likes the city. He spoke to a number of players about it. He spoke to his new teammates prior to signing about it. Um, this is something that him and, and his family. He's got a kid coming in September. Um, he really likes that environment, and it's genuine. And like I keep telling everybody, Columbus is an underrated town. If you get a chance to go there, do it. Um, check out a hockey game. Uh, if you know Ohio State's playing, mix that in, depending on the time of year. But it, it's a really fun town, and it's a really nice town. And a lot of people, especially older guys in the league. Once they start to play there, they, they, they really enjoy it. So for him, this was a personal choice, um, and I totally get it. It just threw a heck of a lot of people off guard. You know, Johnny uh, spoke today. It was uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> but uh, I just knew that I wanted to leave Calgary is, is essentially what, what he yeah. mentioned. Um, yeah, it's it's got to be even worse for Brad Tree Living to hear that after – 
You know, they they were negotiating pretty much till the eleventh hour on on Monday, trying to get him locked down to an eight year deal. Yeah, and and I think I mean he could have worded it a little different. I, I think it's being like my understanding of the situation was, you know, he he really he he did enjoy his time in Calgary. He really liked it. They really liked it there. Um, but his heart was pulling him closer to home, and he just wanted to be closer to um, to home. And obviously, Philadelphia wasn't going to be in that mix. So, you know, what what was the next option for him? And, and I, I I get that. I totally understand it. And um, you know, I think it was more so him battling himself and, and the family battling themselves to say, do we do we just stay here for the money, or do we? do what we know we want to do and just be closer to home. And, and that's ultimately what it came down to. So I think, you know, he kind of, he could have worded things, you know, a little bit better, but I mean, that, that's the, that's the sense of, of his mindset that I got um, that that was effectively what it was, what it came down to. So yeah, he turned down bigger bucks in Calgary. Um, clearly the, the priority for him was being closer to home. And this is an environment that he, you know, genuinely is is happy about um, the outcome. So, I mean, I'm happy for him and for all of these guys that get to you know pick and choose where they want to go. It just you know it can it can be a tough a tough go for certain fan bases. You were mentioning mentioning a bit earlier that you you hope to have a quiet weekend, and for that to happen, we need to have some resolution on guys like uh, Nazem Kadri, but also John Klingberg, who you tweeted about an update right before joining yeah. us here uh, for this hit. So, what is the latest on John Klingberg? There was some there was some suggestion that things have created so his market has cratered so badly he was considering taking a one year deal. What's going on there? Yeah, that's not. I don't know where that came from. Um, to be honest, I saw a few different reports on it, um, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on anybody. It's you know, so you get information, you kind of roll with it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you make mistakes, six, not eight. But uh, the uh, situation there with Klingberg is um, no, there's no one-year offer on the table that he's considering from any team. Uh, it is long-term, it is multi-year, um, but he's back home, so he's going to kind of just you know sleep on things, and he's probably sleeping right now and um, make what he hopes to make a decision tomorrow. So we'll see kind of where that ends up. There are a few teams still in the mix on him. He's trying to, you know, ultimately decide what's best, you know, for him. He gets married, I think, in, in a week or so. Um, so he's figuring, you know, his whole situation out. But um, it, it's, still, it's still, you know, long-term, multi-year, between the five- to seven-year range, depending on the environment. Um, it's just a matter of who offers uh, the best environment for him, and, and we'll know hopefully, and hopefully he does for his sake, um, sometime on Friday. That should be a nice little like $60 million boost, though. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not, not too, yeah, exactly. Not, not bad at all. Hey, don't worry. Nobody's taking that here. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, what, what are the teams, though? Like, it feels like Seattle has uh, made sense, but yep. then yeah, Justin Schultz gets signed there. Uh, Ottawa's still got some room to play with. It seems like they really love to get a right shot D. Like, what are the the fits? What what, what are the teams that are really in on Klingberg right now? Yeah, Ottawa's certainly expressed their interest in John Klingberg, um, but again, they're talking multi year uh, type of type of deal there. Seattle has expressed interest. Anaheim has expressed interest um, in in him as well. Uh, Carolina was in the mix before they obviously got Burns. Um, so we'll, I mean, you know, we'll we'll see if another team you know, kind of enters, enters this equation. 
Um, but from, from what I've heard, Seattle, Ottawa, uh, Anaheim are three teams that are still very much in there. And, and these are three teams that still have cap space and, and room to play with. Uh, so we'll see, you know, how that kind of unfolds or if another team kind of gets in there. He would like ideally to be in a competitive environment and obviously chase the Stanley Cup again. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, we'll see. A lot of the Cup contenders do not have that much space to, to kind of operate with. And some teams that were, you know, in the mix before have made some additions within their roster. Um, you know, some teams uh, are, are weighing to see how they can move out additional money in order to accommodate other moves. So it's a tricky situation. Um, but specifically, those three teams, I believe, are still in the picture when it comes to, to John Klingberg. Now, uh, Nazem Kadri still remains on the market, and he's interesting for Vancouver because to some degree he might be the perfect or at least a good comparable to JT and what he might be commanding, especially a year from now. Uh, Are you getting the sense that he's just waiting for Colorado to make space for him? And how much total money is he looking at, you think? I I think he's... uh, My guess is in the 7.5 to 8 range. Um per year it might be a little lower if if we go longer on term if he gets a seven-year deal um like he's 31 some teams are a little hesitant to give him that big term if it if it's going to cost big money uh but he you know he's he's continuing to evaluate his options now he's been very involved in this process from from the get-go on zoom calls and, and talking to different gms along with his agent darren ferris um, you know, evaluating different scenarios, looking at the different packages with his family, seeing what the best fit might be if it's outside of Colorado. Uh, the Avs have made it clear that if he does decide that he wants to stick around, that they will deal with the cap situation after the fact and, and figure it out. And if he leaves, you know, they got to replace him in some fashion. So they'll evaluate their options, most likely on the trade front. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how that kind of unfolds once he once he makes his decision, I don't know if he's any closer. I know today he was planning on narrowing down his options. Um, I couldn't tell you how many he's at at this point or, or what's realistic at this stage. They've kept the things pretty close to the vest. Um, but I do, my understanding was they, at some point this afternoon, they wanted to kind of narrow things down and then, you know, go from there. So this is, this is a, I mean, look, this is his last big contract for him and his family. So they've got to figure things out and they want to make sure it's the right decision. So uh, here in Vancouver, all we've been talking about is J.T. Miller. Is he going to get traded? What's going to happen? <laughs> the draft happened, of course. Um, yeah. Then free agency comes. Oh, also, all they've talked about is getting rid of cap. You know, trying to move out cap, trying to create cap flexibility. Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, and then free agency comes. They add Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, what what have what are you making of what the Canucks have been up to and? How surprised are you that they're uh, adding to their roster rather than subtracting? Well, I, I think the plan was always um, to add. It was just also a matter of and adding the right pieces. And then it was also a matter of uh, moving out other guys and moving out money overall. Um, so there was, it, was always, it was always twofold. Um, you know, I, I mentioned you know, ahead of the draft that you know, trade talks with respect to JT Miller really hadn't been all that fruitful, at least offer-wise, um, and that really hasn't changed. I know you guys have talked about it over the last few days, too. Um, that hasn't really changed to this point. Uh, going to today, I think a lot of the focus has been other areas for Alvin and his staff to see where they can 
you know, move out that money and, and, and how they can make a deal that makes sense as, as they do look to free up some additional cap space. Uh, is it Tanner Pearson? Is it Dickinson? Is it both? Is it Connor Garland? Um, you know, I know there was some talk with respect to Tyler Myers. Uh, if they move him out, do they have options on the blue line? By the way, they have spoken uh, or had at some point in the last, well, since whenever free agency opened with respect to Klingberg, mm-hmm. but that would have only been if they move out Tyler Myers. And I think a lot of kick, a lot of this has to happen in order for that to happen, not just with the Canucks across the board. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's kind of where they're at. These are the names that are out there, and, and can they move out some money to make something happen? I know there's the, everybody's talking about the connection to Pittsburgh. If it was that easy, it would have happened already. So, you know, Alvin and his staff, you know, certainly have to, you know, figure something out. They've got to move out money at some point. Uh, but it seems like the focus is not on JT Miller. It's more on some of the other guys to see how they can find a new home for them. Well, one thing I, I kind of wonder about, and I'm not even sure it's going to happen for Vancouver necessarily because they have such a high price set for JT, but just in general about trying to make moves for the back end because Vancouver, I could see Vancouver being a fit if they're moving a forward for one of their, their defensemen, but they still need to move a defenseman out. So it's almost like you need to make a three-way deal if you want to get, make a deal with Pittsburgh, and those things don't happen in the National Hockey League. But you mentioned John Klingberg, right. and this is what, what I find really interesting about this team because... Had the Canucks cleared cap space, they would have been aggressive in trying to find other players. Like this is not a team that's looking yep. to squirrel away cap space for the next few years. Like if they had their way, they would have maybe gone after and got a guy like Klingberg this offseason. Yeah, well, they, I mean, you know, they made it clear they, they, you know, they certainly want to be competitive, and you know, they saw how this team performed down the stretch last season, and and especially in the second half. And why would you want to try to regress? You can build off that, build off that momentum. Yeah, you've got the summer and whatever, but build off that, um, that, that success that you had in the second half. And, you know, you hope that you can carry that type of performance throughout a full 82-game schedule. And if that is the case, well, you're battling for, you know, top spot in your division. So, and, and looking at how this division has played out, I mean, you know, Edmonton's made their moves. Vegas has regressed a little bit. Um, you'd imagine L.A. should should you know, be in a solid position to build off their season next year. Calgary's regressed. So you've got a good positioning here to be in one of those three slots in the division. And and I've got to imagine that that's for them, you know, something that they're seriously looking at. So, you know, if they had the money, if they, and not the money, if they had the cap space, then yeah, I could certainly see them being more aggressive within this period, but they, along with, you know, a ton of other teams are, really up against it and, and, and have to juggle and do all the cap gymnastics that come with being in a salary cap era, flat cap era. I would love to see at some point some type of luxury tax put in place, but I, I don't see Gary and, and a good chunk of the owners going for that at this point. So, um, you know, they have, to, they have to battle. They have to, you know, jump around and juggle those, those balls up in the air and see, you know, how they can make certain things fit. And that's, that's what they're doing. Pags, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. You got it. Thanks, boys. Uh, there is uh, David Pignotta of the fourth period joining us here on Canuck Central. Yeah. I, I find that kind of fascinating, Sat. If the Canucks were to have opened up cap space, they could have potentially been one of the teams mm-hmm. trying to acquire John Klingberg? Potentially. Because if you're moving out, say, all of Myers' contract, $6 million, Yeah. You have the way you have a way to make that type of a deal, and considering the Canucks signed Mikheyev, yeah, there certainly was budget 
to do something along those lines. I mean, hey, uh, obviously, I don't think they would be willing to go like 50, 60 million or anything on Klingberg or anything along those lines, but I think it's interesting. And everything we've seen yeah. has been, we move something out, we make an addition. We're not moving anything out, here's an opportunity, let's make an addition. Like, it's not about winning now, but it's about setting the team up. And they are looking to take advantage of every opportunity that comes their way, potentially. And you look at Klingberg and how he fits in, you can question it and wonder, well, you know, how would he, he, OEL, and Hughes coexist, potentially? But he plays the right side. And it's very hard to find the perfect right side defenseman. If you're waiting for the perfect right side defenseman, you may you might be waiting forever. It's... Uh... <sighs> It's kind of hard to do the cap gymnastics in your head because what's like Klingberg would come in around seven, seven and a half. I don't think he gets eight, but who knows with free agency. Pinota talked there about a five to seven year deal. It's going to cost probably about 55 ish million on the total value to get John Klingberg to put pen to paper. I wonder what it ends up as, but. It is kind of fascinating. The thing about right shot D and and what I liked about the Canucks and what they did in free agency here is, you know, they looked at it. It's like, yes, we need to improve our defense, but there's nobody here in free agency that can realistically do that for us. Yeah. Right. Like again, Erica Branson four by four, right? Like that's how scary right shot D is when you dip into free agency and why, the Myers deal has actually aged better than most people thought it would when it was initially signed. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's just about how that market kind of goes. And as soon as defensemen started getting paid on the higher end, it really changed the landscape. Because if you're paying guys 8 or $9 million that are the top-end defensemen, that means the second and third-tier guys kind of fall into that $6 million range, $7 million range, $5 million range. So all of a sudden, you see a guy like Sherratt get close to $5 million. You see Good Branson get $4 million. And that's kind of how it gets pushed up with how these salaries go. And, I mean, hey, who knows ultimately what would have happened had they mm-hmm. been able to clear up more cap space and what they would have gone after. But I think the biggest lesson we're learning as we see this team finally make some moves here is that they're interested in getting younger. They're interested in getting better and setting themselves up for the future. But that they're not interested in taking the long way to get there. Yeah, you know, and and they're not going to sign guys like Louis Erickson in their thirties. Like they're not going to do reckless things in that sense. I know people are questioning even the McKay of signing, but he is a twenty-seven-year-old. You're getting the best years. Theoretically, you should be getting the yes. best years of McKay's career. Now we can squabble. We, we can argue about his, the worth and all that sort of stuff, but the range does fit for what you're looking for, and it is consistent with everything you said you've been wanting to accomplish. You've got four more years of Demko at five million. Try to make the most of those four years uh, if you are the Vancouver Canucks. Um, So fascinating little tidbit there. Free agency has been baffling at times and surprising at times. Johnny Goudreau, we always want more movement. We always want more intrigue in the National Hockey League. Well, what better than a superstar choosing a small market team like Columbus? Aaron Portsline covers the columbus blue jackets at the athletic he'll join us to discuss why johnny chose ohio that's next on canuck central
Canuck Central Hour 2 is presented by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping a local business since 1892. Johnny Gaudreau to the Columbus Blue Jackets sat. Yeah, he is a member of the Blue Jackets. And I will say this, because uh, over the years, uh, we've had a, a lot of discussions about the Blue Jackets. The last couple of years have been tougher since, you know, they... They went through their you know rebuild, rephrase, whatever Lost it is. Panarin, Bobrovsky, and, and all those guys, the big exodus. But it has always been known as an underrated hockey market. And I remember we had Jody Shelley on, on Connect yeah. Central back in the day with with Alex Ald. And we had Jody Shelley in studio, and we had a great combo with him You know, for two segments, actually. We talked a lot about Columbus and all that sort of stuff. And, and he really you know waxed poetic about that situation and you know how the market is actually really good and the city's not bad. So... I do think when we're we're all surprised they left Cal- Colum- Calgary for Columbus. Like it doesn't make sense because he's from the East Coast. But I don't think Columbus, the city itself and the market itself, should have the negative connotation it does have. Because for all intents and purposes, it's actually a very active and fun hockey market. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. I don't think he's going to dispute that thought. Uh, it's Aaron Portsline. Uh, Covering the Columbus Blue Jackets at the Athletic. Thanks for this, uh, Aaron. Uh, Sat was just saying, you know, the, the some of the talk around the league is is just how underrated Columbus is as as a as a hockey market, and maybe uh, we shouldn't be as surprised as uh, as we are from Johnny Gaudreau choosing uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets yesterday. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting interesting point. I think it's surprising that he, that he chose Columbus just because it seemed. So implausible. I don't think he expected to end up in Columbus at the start of the day. I don't think the Blue Jackets expected him to end up there either. Sometimes the market plays out in a way that makes things possible uh, that didn't otherwise seem possible. You know, it's weird. As, as the guy who's, who's covered this team and has lived in this city, you know, you, you, you have experiences with players who almost overwhelmingly love the place. And many of them stay here, and you don't expect fans from outside a market to to um, spend much time on the nuance of decisions. But you can go one by one with the players that have left. You know, Matthew Shane was here for a brief time and left. They didn't offer him a contract. They didn't think it was wise to spend that money on a on a one dimensional center. Those are my words, not theirs. Um, Artemi Panarin dreamed of being a Ranger. They didn't want to pay Sergei Bobrovsky the highest salary as a goaltender in the league. I think most agree that was a wise decision. Um, players have left. There is no getting around that. And when it happens as much as it did here in Columbus to, to prime players, you get a bit of a reputation, whether that's fair or not, earned or not. Um, but overwhelmingly, the players who have played here love playing here. Many, many of them stick around. There's a robust alumni group here, and and but and having said all this, nothing, nothing could be as powerful. Me saying it on a radio station in Vancouver, uh, other players saying it, uh, people writing it doesn't matter. Nothing's as powerful uh, to dissuade people of that notion quite like Johnny Gaudreau picking uh, the city and the franchise to sign long term, and so. They hope that this is the beginning of, of sort of a new stage and a new way of looking at the the the, uh, the franchise. 
Well, and, you know, you now you look at it and you have Zach Wierenski, one of the uh, better young defensemen in the league. He's under contract long term. You have Johnny Goudreau, you know, under contract long term. This team still has some assets. Uh, what else do you kind of expect to see here from Yarmo? I know the line situation is still to be figured out. Uh, do we see the timeline get expedited for their competitiveness now that they have Goudreau here? Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, they have said from the start of this that they've corrected anybody who calls it a rebuild. At first, I thought it was just semantics, but they've called it a restart, not a rebuild, whatever. It's it's the shorter form of the two, put it that way. Uh, they weren't going to take it all the way down. They kept Boone Jenner. They've kept Oliver Bjorkstrand. You mentioned Wierenski. They signed him to a long-term deal. They plunged into free agency last year for a, a really valuable third-line center for them, Sean Corrali, character guy. Um, so not the mark of a team that's rebuilding, certainly. They expected to be right back in it and competitive again. Last year they were competitive, probably more than people anticipated. I do think they've sped things up now. Now they now they believe themselves to be a playoff team next season. It doesn't seem that far-fetched anymore. Aaron Portsline, our guest. I wonder, though, because it is uh, still a rather young roster, but you've added Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, there's not a ton of cap space remaining, but you know, does Yarmo try to add another big piece to to put beside Johnny? They, they still do have. I, I feel there's still a need at center for this team. It's, it's that's easy to look at that and say that. I think they they got by last season. I think there's reason to believe they could be better this year at center. Boone Jenner played really well at center last year. Many people think of him as a left winger, but he's played in the middle and played well. Uh, Cole Sillinger had a really good 18-year-old rookie season in the NHL. Bigger things are expected of him. The name that's been sort of a wild card is Jack Roslovic. And Roslovic took took some time early in his career to find his way. I'm not sure there's a full-on belief that it's there permanently, but the way he played in the second half last season really impressed a lot of people here. For me, the bigger issue is the right side of the defense. They're happy with Wierenski and Gavrikov, the top two on the left side, really good. But the right side has been a mystery for them. They brought Boakvist and Bean and Peak uh, in last year. Peak's been part of the organization, but Bean and Boakvist were trades. None of those guys really last year was able to nail down a top four job. Peak ended up there. It wasn't a perfect fit. But Branson they bring in, that's probably a third-pairing guy. The right side of the defense is a little sketchy for me. I think with the, the move that Yarmo's going to have to make now to, to get under the salary cap, I think it probably precludes a, a, a big-name help on the defense. They're going to need uh, one of those young guys, being focused to really take a step forward. Uh, but there are some question marks for sure. I think Elvis Merzlikens in goal is a question mark, too. A guy's got a, a ton of promise, but hasn't yet put it together as an NHL number one. Now, on the Patrick Line front, uh, what type of contract do you think he might be looking at here? So I've been told it's a five- or six-year deal, and the issue, isn't it always, is money. <laughs> yeah. Um, the best guess is they're probably a million, million and a half apart. I would think that this Gaudreau contract could... Uh, move things along. If you're, you know, the Blue Jackets have gone about this with Line A saying, 
maybe you could take a little bit less than the absolute maximum you can get so that we can build up a team around you that can, can be very competitive. I think players are naturally suspicious of that, especially with a team like Columbus that hasn't had playoff success. But the move to sign Gaudreau, if you're Patrick Laine, I think would be an eye-opener. And if you're a shooter, and we all know Patrick Laine is a shooter, uh, playing on a team with Jake Voracek, with Johnny Gaudreau, with young Kent Johnson, three sublime playmakers, that would seem a pretty good spot to be in. So maybe this helps things move along quicker. The uh, Eric and Branson signing was um, uh, eyebrow-raising. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, the term and the, and the dollar figure uh, was a lot. Um, yep. Seemed like a lot. And also, it, it kind of a uh, little bit of a different profile player than, than what we see on the back end. You know, they've got Wierenski. Uh, Bokvist is, is a guy that profiles as an offensive defenseman. Jake Bean is the same way. Denton Matejchuk, who they just drafted, is that way. Even Irachek, to a certain extent, at sixth overall. It feels like, uh, for the most part, the mindset on the back end has been, hey, we want offensive defensemen that can push the puck, and that's not exactly what Eric Branson is. No, and I, I think they realized, and, and they knew last year wasn't perfect. Uh, Bokvist came over in the Jones deal. Essentially, so did Bean. They flipped a second-round pick uh, from Chicago to get him from Carolina. They knew it wasn't perfect last year. Last year was a, was a season where they took their lumps and measured and, and watched closely. But I think they learned that, that it went a little too far towards the puck moving last year, that they, even in this new NHL, at some point you need heft. And Yarmo Kekalainen spoke of this yesterday. Um, when he spoke of Branson that you know this is not a this is not a signing that the analytics department championed. I think you got that message clear. Yeah. Um, but they needed someone who could clear a crease. They needed someone who could who could take care of a, a Blankenberg. Someone who could take care of of you know players taking advantage. They got taken advantage of, of last year. And though this league has changed, and it's not the it's not the fighters' league that it used to be. If you don't have that element, and Columbus saw that last year down the stretch, it can get ugly. And there were a couple of games where it really teetered on the, the point of ugliness. And they added uh, Matthew Olivier up front, a forward from Nashville, who's a, a tough little scrappy dude. They added Brenton on the back. They were willing to pay for it. I'll, I'll grant you it's a big term. It's big money. The biggest contract of good Branson's career. That doesn't usually happen at his age. Uh, but they felt like they really needed a different element back there. And he was one of the few guys available in free agency that could provide it. Now, as far as their prospects are concerned, I mean, we look at the drafts and the way Cole Sillinger played uh, for last season, and you look at you know all the other guys they have. How excited is this organization for a guy like Kent Johnson? Yeah, well, they're 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 over the moon with this kid. And that draft that draft night last year, the Jones trade. And then getting Johnson at five, and then waiting, gnashing their teeth, and and hoping to God Cole Sillinger stayed there at twelve, and having it fall that way, that felt like a really big night for the organization. Um, this year, drafting two defensemen in the top twelve hasn't been done since the original six ended, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Fifty-six years, but since that's been done. So Matichuk and Yerchek, and those guys are going to have to wait on there. I, I don't think there's any chance Yerchek does what Sillinger did 
and plays in the NHL as an 18-year-old. He's probably a year away, maybe a couple. Um, but that's the next bridge that they've that they've got to gap um, with getting getting Yurichek up to speed and, and having a a right side difference making defenseman that can play with Berenski. That's still the 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 um, repercussions of the Seth Jones trade. If you think about it, they love the trade that they made, but it does create a big hole in the roster. Hey, uh, we really appreciate the time, Aaron. Thanks for this. Okay, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Uh, there is Aaron Portsline uh, covering the Columbus Blue Jackets at the Athletic. Fascinating that they are looking for a right shot defenseman, even after uh, spending a lot to get a uh, Eric Goodbranson. Because every single team, Dan, is always looking for right shot defensemen. Yeah, we went through the exercise during the season, and I, I wish I had the numbers here, but we, I, I, I went over how many defensemen there's. There's about eighty, ninety more left shot defensemen in the league than there are righties. Shows you there's quite a bit. There's a scarcity. You know, there, there's barely enough to go around for every team as it is. So you can never really have enough, and that's where you see what happens in free agency. Yeah, a guy gets overpaid. Good Branson gets overpaid. You know, you see Myers get overpaid, and it was very frustrating for fans here in Vancouver. And listen, I criticize Good Branson's play too, and I think the biggest issue with him was wrong player for the wrong time for the wrong team. Yeah, you know, and he was, and they gave up too much to get him. Mm-hmm. But if you have him playing a complementary role, it makes some sort of sense, even though I don't love it. It just didn't make sense where Vancouver was at. But I always maintained he has value. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that, you know, you look around the league, righty defenseman, has size, is tough, is considered a good guy, and all those sort of things. Those things always have value in the National Hockey League. And yeah. fans are like, why'd you sign him to that extension? I didn't love it either. But I'm like, you could probably still flip this guy. And people like, there's no way you can flip him. You got, him, you got Tanner Pearson for him, yeah. you know, and you love that trade still. And, People still criticize Pearson, but a legitimate, you know, top six, middle six forward that gives you good production. And that's the value he had. And that's why you see him now sign this other contract. And give good brands and credit. Once he went to Anaheim, he really did rebuild his value back up again. And then had a good season with Calgary, which helped him get paid again. Give him a lot of credit. But it just shows you, as much as, you know, we criticize GMs for signing these righty defensemen, there's so few of them. So few of them. um, You know, you, you have to be able to simplify your game to a certain extent and maybe maybe good Branson is able to do that but uh Aaron Portsline there mentioning you know they even though they signed him to that contract do they expect him to play a massive role maybe not uh so that'll be interesting to see my this is the thing about free agency though I look at Columbus I see the Johnny Gaudreau signing and I'm like they're still a bad team <laughs> I, I don't see them making the playoffs, Sat. Yeah, I don't know about playoffs. Um, I guess it depends on how their goaltending will bounce back a little bit. Their defense, the Metro's too good. Man. It is too like, good. They're no, not I, better than... No, they're, they're still think, not better than New Jersey. They're not better than the Rangers. They're not better than Pittsburgh, Washington, no, but, Carolina. But things do happen. Like, there's a team that falls apart and things yeah. can happen. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I do think they're going to be a competitive team. Yeah. You know, because Rosovic played a lot better. You know, last year he got better. Bjorkstrand is a good player. You add line, you have line A who's going to be healthy. You add a player like Johnny Goudreau. Like their top six isn't terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can field a legitimate top line. They can have a second line that gives you a little bit of trouble. They have guys that work hard too. I mean, Cole Sillinger, how much better does he get? So I think they're going to be a scrappy team that has a little bit of talent, but they're so well set up 
in a couple of years to really take advantage. I mean, Nyquist's contract is coming up after this season. Yeah. That's another five and a half million they're going to be able to spend in free agency. It's, uh, it's, look, um, we saw it with Colorado how the Duchesne trade really set them up well to do and go through their rebuild. Um, for Columbus, it was the Seth Jones trade that really set them up. I don't think the Canucks are going to get that type of a deal for JT Miller, but it feels like that's the kind of deal they've been waiting for. The one that just is like, yep, that's the one. Yeah, That's the one that really we get value we feel is there to part with this player that's such a huge part of our roster. But uh, like I've been skeptical all along, and even during the season people got mad. They're like, you know, why aren't they trading him at the deadline? Like, the offers aren't even that good. And I kept saying, I mean, the return's not going to be what people think it is. And the reason I don't mind holding is because I don't think the offers will be significantly worse. You could even get a better offer in the offseason than what you're getting right now. It's a traditional first-round pick, decent prospect, yeah. throw in a roster player to make it work. Not really enticing. There's not anybody there you're like, oh, wow, this is somebody we have to add to our team. That market never materialized. And if you look at Kevin Fiala, mm-hmm. what he went for, good good value, but a guy for two years of control, you know, almost scored 40 goals, yeah. a lot of speed. It wasn't a massive haul to bring it. People thought it's going to get this huge haul. And I still think it was decent value, seventh overall pick. A top 10 pick is valuable, but it wasn't the haul people thought it would be. You look at Pacioretty, straight camp to cap dump for guys who are going to score 30 goals next season. They can't give JVR away. He's making $7 million because his contract's too big in Philly right now. And he scored a bunch of goals last season. What, 22, 24 goals last year? So it just shows you that wingers right now around the league, trade value-wise, it's just not there. It's... Uh... And I know people say Miller played center this year, and that's a good point. But he's not viewed as a center by opposing teams. Like, they're not saying we're paying a center price for him. Yeah. They're like, hey, he's a guy that can play center, but he's probably going to play wing for us. Or They'd have to see it again. Yeah, he, like I, from what I've what I understand when I've talked, I haven't I can't sit here and say that I know anything about conversations. But what I've heard talking to some teams, I'm like, hey, how do you view JT? They're like a winger who can play center, not a center who can play wing. Uh, question: uh, If we think the Rangers offered Lafreniere to the Canucks in a trade before the season ended, no, our belief is the Rangers' offer was Philip Heedle, Nils Lundqvist, and a first round pick. And that's where it was. Wasn't good enough for the Canucks. And doesn't look like the Rangers are still a suitor, at least right now, for JT Miller. Anthony and White Rock, watching the Johnny Gaudreau Blue Jackets presser, the first thing I notice is how shy he is. I mean, seems to be that he's quiet and always has been. So is the shock, really a shock, that he left. Maybe it's the family, maybe it's the media in Canada, etc. I don't know, but happy for him. I don't think many people in Calgary are happy for Johnny. The Flames are in a really ugly spot right now, Sat. And this is part of what we talked about in the first hour, how the Western Conference, Mm -hmm. like a lot of teams have gotten worse. Not really any team has gotten better uh, in the Western Conference. And Calgary's included because they've just lost the straw that stirs their drink in Johnny Gaudreau. What does Calgary do now after the Johnny Gaudreau departure? I mean, they're they're in a spot where they have some players that are young enough and really good 
but they also have some guys that are in their early 30s where you only have a couple of years to push. They're kind of stuck in that middle all of a sudden. Yeah. Because they may not be good enough to really contend, and they're not old enough, and they're not flexible enough to start rebuilding. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think what they have to do is do everything they can to get Kachuk signed. And if they don't, there has to be a trade. And once Kachuk trade happens, you can, you almost have to, like, it depends on when you get back in return, but I don't think that leads to a rebuild. I think it leads to, uh, okay, now we, we're clearing all this money. We have all this money now. Who do we go after next offseason? What do we use these assets for? How do we get that star player that moves the needle for us? Because that's that's what we're going to have to get. Because I don't I don't see an, an easy an way out for them. No. You know, they they have too many good players that are getting paid and under under team control that they've got a like they've got some really good contracts. Like the Rasmus Anderson contract is really good. The Elias Lindholm contract is really good. But all those contracts have what two, three years remaining on them. Yeah, Coleman. Other UFAs. Coleman is the forward that has the most term. Yeah, and he has five years remaining on his contract. It's not prohibitive the the salary on it. Four point nine five million. Yeah, but if you can't keep Kachuk, what are you, what are you really doing? Who's your star player? Yeah, who's, who's allowing you to compete in the Pacific Division? You know what they are though. They're a year away from a rebuild. Yeah, I think what you do this year, you kind of spin your wheels a little bit because you got to be careful. But then you head into next season, Michael Backlund, expiring contract. Elias Lindholm, expiring contract. Tyler Toffoli, expiring contract. Noah Hannafin, expiring contract. Chris Tanev, expiring contract. All UFAs to be. Yeah. These are all guys you're getting something for. And if you get smart and retain salary even, you're getting even more for them. I mean, and hey, it's not going to be you know the type of returns that um, are, are, are going to change the world, but it gives them enough ammunition to do those sort of things if they want to do it. But you still have Markstrom now for four more years of $6 million per season. How do you think Markstrom feels if they go rebuild? Does he wonder, as much as it seemed like a good decision to not sign with Edmonton and go with Calgary based on how this past season went? Yeah. Do you think he ends up regretting that? Calgary gave him the extra year, so he got the extra $6 million I think, bucks. I think Edmonton would have, would have uh, matched it. Yeah. Even. But it was just like, oh, if you were doing that, I may as well just go there. It's... But both of those guys, when Calgary made that move to sign those two in free agency, it was essentially like, we're just trying to max out the last years of, of Johnny Gaudreau. That's when Calgary made their decision that they're not trading Gaudreau. Because, look, the narrative, part of the shock is kind of surprising because the narrative around Johnny for so long has been, he wants to go back to the East Coast. Yeah. Sat, we went into basically every offseason wondering if the Flames would trade Johnny Gaudreau because of his incapability of performing in the playoffs, and two, that the clock was ticking on his time in Calgary because everybody seemed to know he was going to go back, play closer to home at his first available opportunity. And he did. I don't I, like I don't I don't figure why we should be so shocked, but maybe and this is part of, hey, if you're the Leafs two years away from Austin Matthews, the Canucks with JT Miller, they go into the year with him unsigned to a contract. You just have to be, when is it okay for you to just be okay to let a player, a big player walk for free? I mean, I think as a fan base, I don't think there's a, you win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, a guy can walk, and it's like, oh, hey, hey, we won. Otherwise, there's always going to be hard feelings for great players. I don't think there's a there's a way for that to happen without there being hard feelings. Even if Johnny said, "Hey, trade me," people still be mad 
He yeah. wanted yeah. out. You know what I mean? You have they to be able to legitimately sell that you're a contender. Like, for instance, Ryan Kessler asked for a trade. Instead of leaving as a free agent, he said, hey, trade me. Yeah. Like Canucks did. Now he drove a hard bargain with a no trade clause. Fans hate, still hate him for it. Yeah. And you got something in return for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have lied and yes, yes, kept his head down and then you lost him for nothing potentially. Now, hey, Vancouver was trying to trade him anyways, but he had no trade clause. He controlled the process, but he wanted out. Yeah. But what happened? P- people hate him for it. Same thing for Burry. They hate him for it. You, you can make the, the argument is, hey, at least they got something for them, but fans don't care because they're looking at it as this guy does, doesn't want to be here They anymore. also hated Edler for not waiving his no move. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think that matters so much. I think from my perspective, evaluating it, I just look at it as I don't blame him for leaving. I think what surprised all of us is the amount of money he left on the table to leave and the destination he ultimately took because all we had heard was close to home, close to home. And yes, Columbus is a lot closer to home than Cal- Calgary is. But it ain't that close. No. Still you an eight-hour drive. Yeah, and, and it's not a team that's on the verge of winning. So you say, hey, yeah. winning trumps all. And Well, he even said it didn't matter where it was. It, I just knew it wasn't Calgary anymore. Yeah. And he yeah. got somewhat close to home. Yeah. He just didn't want to play in Calgary. It, it's clear. Yeah. Now, I will say this about if he got traded before this season started, yeah. the return wasn't going to be massive. He wasn't coming off a big year. No. Well, he's he's had like one great year, one not-so-great year, and... Playoff, you know, lack of playoff performance as a small player. He'd get a first round pick and a decent prospect or something. Yeah. Like, were, were we talking in line with the trades that we've seen so far? It wouldn't be Debrinket. No. I mean, would it even be Fiala? Because Fiala was coming off a big year. Yeah. You know, like, it would have been something along those lines, though. First round pick and a prospect that maybe not upper top echelon. Now I'm a big Brock Faber fan. I, I consider him a top prospect, but some consider him, like Ian said, a B plus prospect. Yeah. So it depends on your evaluation of those guys. Uh, it is Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Canuck Central continues into the 5 o'clock hour on Sportsnet 650.